Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at Bet Online. Get in the mix at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Uncle Jim, Uncle Jim, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jim. Lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed. Oh, yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Jill. Uncle Jill, there's no bad guy like Uncle Jill. Never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed. Oh, yeah, here comes. Uncle Chill, there's no bad guy like Uncle Chill, never lost, not even around, undefeated, undisputed, oh yeah, here comes the bad guy, Uncle Chill. What's happening guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Wow, where do I begin? So what a weekend. We had Submission Underground, and I will tell you that is the best grappling card that I have ever seen. I mean, top to bottom. And before it even started, I wake up, and Sunday morning, it's about 1 in the morning, 1.30 a.m., my phone's going off. It's A.J. Agazarm. He's all upset because Chris Lencioni had just put out an interview Chris not only challenged AJ to a fight, he also challenged him to a grappling match every possible way you could consider. Gi, no gi, IBJJF, Abu Dhabi, submission underground. I mean, any way you could challenge a guy, Lencioni challenges AJ. Okay, so AJ's letting me know, hey, I'm in Stockton. I'm training with Nick right now. I'm about to get in a car. And I'm about to drive out there to Oregon. So tell me where this little secret venue of yours is at. AJ, first off, it's one in the morning. Second off, I have not heard the interview by Chris yet. AJ sent me a link to it, but I I didn't actually hear it. I was asleep, like a sane human being would be. And uh, so, but he tells me, AJ says, uh, okay, he said he wants to do a gi. I don't know if he actually does geese or if he means that, but you're going to see him today. I want you to ask him. Okay, that I can handle. I can walk up to Chris Lencioni and say, do you do gee competitions? AJ's asking. And and I did. And Sunshine didn't flinch a bit. He said, look, I'll do the gee. I'll do the no gee. I want, we need to fight. We need to fight each other. He's been coming at me on social media. I've been coming at him. He thinks I'm being a jerk. I think he's being a jerk. Real easy to figure out. We both got contracts over in Bellator. Just sign one of them with each of our names on it. Give us a date and let's do it. Okay. I mean, I can't argue with any of that, but let's go back to Submission Underground. So Sunshine goes out and he's got a hard match. And Sunshine likes a hard match. He's one of these guys that can just compete really well where you see him in the back and he's like, you know, playing catch with Eric or something. This is how they're warming up. Or he's, you know, he's running around and slapping Austin, so Austin has to run and chase after him. I mean, Sunshine's just a really playful guy. He's just always happy, but that does convert to competition. If you get beat in the back, you're in big trouble. If you panic, there's something called uh, paralysis by analysis. If you sit and dwell and overthink something, other guys have got to create an anxiety. They have to create a fear with themselves. And nobody's wrong to do it, but it is a, a unique time when you run into a guy like Chris who genuinely wants to be there doing what he's about to do. And grappling as a whole is very playful. Like right now in this weird time where they're, they're, they're going out, nobody's around. Okay, fine. But let's say when the crowd is there and it's a packed house, it's a different audience than MMA. 
there's not a lot of beer sales at a grappling event, just by example. There's a lot of kids in the crowd, just by example. Most of them belong to a jiu-jitsu team, and they're working on, you know, the belt system and the traditional martial arts. They're there with mom or dad or both. Just by example, it's this totally different feel, very lighthearted. The athletes go out, they try their best, they got disappointment, they have a glorious moment, but it's very light, even in the back. If you go and read the rules of grappling, it is about the most vicious thing you can possibly do with your time. You are only allowed to do three things. You can strangle somebody, you can try to break somebody's arm, or you can try to break somebody's leg. Those are the rules. It doesn't get much more vicious than that, but there's something about the presentation and there's something about the sportsmanship and the respect and the camaraderie that you never really see that. You you just go see some kind of artistic, athletic, martial arts-based competition. So Sunshine gets a win. Jake Smith goes out, and I'm name-dropping. I'm giving you some of the big names, but Jake gets caught in an arm bar. Uh, he gets caught in a standing Kimura and Jake actually defends it perfectly. If you're ever caught in a Kimura and your arm's going this way and your body's the only thing stopping it, send your body in that same direction. If your, if your arm's getting ripped this way, jump into a forward flip. Jake actually defended it perfectly, but in midair, yelled tap. It was a really glorious moment for his opponent, but it was actually, there's ways to lose. There's some ways that you can lose that are cool ways to lose. Jake lost in in this really cool way. He's perfectly defending a technique while telling the referee, he's got me. So you move into Don Stoner. Don Stoner is one of these guys. He, He really reminds me a lot of Jeff Munson. He knows exactly when to be strong. He knows exactly when to be heavy. He's a master of jiu-jitsu, but he favors position over submission. I mean, a guy like that is going to be a handful. Jeff Munson, uh, Jake Shields would fit that bill. I mean, some guys have gone very, very far. Orlando won Abu Dhabi, position over submission. It's a very effective way. But you have to understand your body. So he's in there with Laramie, who's the total opposite. Laramie's long and he's fast, and he's, he's looking for three different moves at once, right? He's looking to pass your guard while going for a knee bar while looking to manipulate your ankle. It was just a mess. The whole match was a mess. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it tremendously. And you move on. Jake Ellenberger goes in there to take on Gabriel. And I screwed Jake Ellenberger on this. I screwed him so bad. I told him, I am so sorry. So one way that these work particularly in absence of a weigh-in because of today's time. We're keeping everybody apart. The contracts are open weight. Now, what that means is whatever two guys weigh, they're going to go out there and compete. But you still have a responsibility if you're in my position or in Heather's position. You're trying to match make a card. You have a responsibility to call this guy, say, what do you weigh? Call this guy, say, what do you weigh? Tell each other what they weigh and then get the agreement. Your ability to then enforce that weight over open weight doesn't exist. So everybody just needs to be honest. That's all you have to do. Everybody just needs to answer the question honestly. And getting guys to tell you what they weigh is oddly difficult to do. I mean, it's an oddly challenging thing to do. At any rate, Ellenberger comes in. He's going about 186 pounds. Gabriel gets there. I don't know what Gabriel weighed, but he looked 215. I mean, he walked in with Vinny and looking at the, They look like a tag team. They look like Axe and Smash walking. They look like Hawk and Animal coming in. And Vinny's at least 230. Vinny's anywhere in that 228 to 232 range. And Gabriel looks like Vinny. Well, oh, no. What have we, what have we done to Jake? Well, that match went exactly the way you would think when a guy's got 30-some pounds on you. Oh, and by the way, is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So Austin goes out, Austin takes on Boogie, and this was a very interesting match. I I spent a good part of my day going back and forth with Eddie Bravo about that match. So Boogie is a very high-level black belt under Eddie. Now, before you ask me the obvious question of how can you be a high-level black belt? If black is the highest you get, how can you be a higher level? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. I don't have the foggiest idea, but it's a real thing. You can be a higher level black belt than somebody else. That's a very common colloquialism. And Boogie is a very high level black belt under the 10th planet system. 
Tenth Planet Jiu-Jitsu is totally different than, say, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu or your traditional Jiu-Jitsu. It's, it's, it's its own sport. Then you got to deal with what the guys in New York and John Danaher's working on, specifically with no gi. It's, they're, they're all these different sports. You can have a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. They're different. You get a black belt from Fabiano Scherner or Saulo Ribeiro, it looks a lot different than one that you're going to get from Eddie Bravo in the 10th Planet system, and it's a problem to the highest of levels. So he's got a, a boogie, high-level black belt, taking on Austin. Now, Austin's a purple belt, but don't be fooled by that. He's also undefeated, perfect record in MMA. He's also a national collegiate wrestling champion. Anything that Austin has ever touched, he has found a way to find success at the highest of levels. Sometimes it's skill. Sometimes he's just better than the guy. But sometimes it just comes down to heart. It comes down to grit, explosiveness, speed, strength. I mean, there's some intangibles there that aren't as simple as throw your hips this way and extend the arm this way. There's intangibles. This match was all about the intangibles. It was very clear that Boogie wanted to be on the ground, he wanted to be in guard, and he wanted Austin to play a jiu-jitsu game. Austin had his own strategy, where he's following the rules, the unified rules of submission underground. And he's out there standing over him, he would engage, but Austin would always be very tight, or he'd have total separation. He would never get caught in these in-betweens. And guys on their backs, say you're in Richie Martinez's position, you're going to do what's called framing. You're going to offer some kind of a threat. You're going to try to get your arm in there. And you're going to try to get the guy's head in between. So the guy's chest is going to come off of you in between. If he comes all the way off, you've got nothing to play. And if he's all the way down, you've got nothing to do. But if you can get him in between, this is when you can start to offer a threat. This is when you can start to get a catch. So this is what the game is. It was very interesting to watch because Austin was drowning at certain points. There were certain points in this match where he did not know where he was, but he knew to compete. He knew where to keep his arm, when to use strength, when to posture out. He's trying to figure this out on the go. He gets into overtime. And Austin has a couple of positions. You can call him a purple belt all you want. You can call him a purple belt till you're, you're blue in the face. He has black belt positions. And if he finds those positions, it's game, set, match. It's You're done. You can, anybody in the world, if he can get you in certain spots, he is a genius in these spots. So they're going back and forth in the overtime. And Austin's still having some struggles, but he's able to use this athleticism. Now he's got a good sweat going. Now he's wearing Richie down just a little bit. Things are starting to get a little bit more even, but Austin finds one of these spots. And if he gets you in a head and arm choke, he is so strong, and he understands this position so well. He understands where his knee goes, where his hips need to be, and he understands that he's got to get his head to his mat, and he's got to wait. He just has to wait. As long as he's got a little bit of adrenaline left in those arms and his arms don't fatigue, eventually... You're going to need your next breath, or you're going to have to tap. Great match. Great finish. A surprise finish. Austin was a 3-1 to one underdog at Bet Online, who was the only place taking action on this. 3-1 to one underdog. Pulls off a win. Go into the main event. And I can tell you, for the staff that was there, there's very few people in this build. Very few people that were involved. The trucks outside. We had tents set up so all the athletes could be in different areas. Nobody wanted to leave. And one of the rules at Submission Underground, you cannot come into the building until you're on deck. And that even then, you're in a different room. You're, you're behind these curtains. But you can at least be in the building to see when your cue is. Because there's not a runner that's going to come and take you from point A to point B. As soon as your match is done, you have to exit the building, get in your vehicle, and leave the property. That was no problem, except for the main event. I mean, everybody within this, the camera crew couldn't wait to go. I couldn't wait to go. The audience couldn't wait to go. I mean, everybody's looking forward to this. Craig and Vinny are finally going to get locked in there. Now, here's the big problem for both of them. And it turned out to be a problem within the match. Craig is known to be a gentleman. Craig is a guy that will get you into a submission and he will stop, just like it's practice. He will give you your opportunity to tap. There has been time or two where Craig has been in very serious high-level matches. The opponent didn't tap, and Craig let him go. Craig knew you should tap. You're being a fool. I'm not here to hurt you, and he'll let you go. He's known. He's got a reputation for being a gentleman. Here's the problem. Vinny is known for having very unusual ligaments and tendons in his ankles, feet, and knee. 
Vinny also publicly does not like leg locks. He likes to do them himself. He doesn't think that they work. He doesn't tap in practice. He doesn't tap in competition. He's just not a guy that respects leg locks, but a lot of that is physiology. It's not just that Vinny has an understanding of how to defend these things. It's that Vinny has a body that's just very hard to hurt in certain places. He can bend and do all these different things. Craig is armed with that. Craig knows who Vinny is. He respects Vinny, but he also understands if I get to my dominant position, which is a heel hook or a manipulation on the knee, I can't be a gentleman because this guy can take things that other guys can't take. Vinny's also got a size advantage. He's strong as an ox and he knows what he's doing. I'm going to have to put everything in these positions if I'm going to get his respect. That's exactly what happened. He did not get Vinny's respect. Vinny did not tap. Vinny didn't even make a face. I'm watching this thing on a monitor, calling it for the audience. And I'm watching Vinny's toes are over here. His heel is that way. His kneecap's over here. And his hips are in some other place of the kid. This is a mess. It was gross, is what it was. I don't know that I've ever used the word gross while describing a submission. The only night that would come close... To meet in the definition of gross was the night that Frank Mir put the arm lock on Tim Sylvia and won the world championship. You guys remember that? And the camera happened to be locked right on it, and nobody even knew why Herb Dean stopped the fight. Then they show it on replay, and the bone is popping out and pushing into the skin. Everyone goes, oh, good job, Herb. That would have been a gross submission. And this was gross. I mean, Vinny's body's in... He got four parts of his body. They're on four separate sides of the cage. And you're watching this screaming, but Vinny's face is showing nothing. Poker face. Nothing. No change in expression. Then Vinny finds a way to defend it. Gets out, comes all the way back up to his feet. So you're going, okay, I don't understand what I just saw right there or how I just saw it. But it's Vinny. He's always doing stuff that nobody else can do, right? That's why he's so great. Okay, we just live with it. And about 30 seconds later... Vinny and Craig are going at it. Referee hasn't stepped in. Referee hasn't said anything. But now these guys have stopped the action. They're still entangled. They haven't let each other go, but they're talking. And then a few seconds after that, they start wrestling again. And about 30 seconds after that, they stop and they go back into a conversation. This time, they look up, bring the referee into it, and the referee says, we're done. So... We don't totally know what we just saw, but we're trying to piece it together as the audience. And the audience is going, okay, Vinny was just in a a manipulation from his ankle to his uh, fibia to his knee, his ACL, his MCL. I mean, there was a lot of things that were exposed and a lot of things that looked as though they weren't right. But Vinny's face was telling another story. Okay, let's rework this. Vinny got out of the submission and then started to feel what had happened and realized, hey, I'm not going to be able to continue. Let's just stop this now. So it turns out that was exactly right. Vinny, when he was caught in that submission and Craig had it, I mean, it was a reverse on top of everything else. It was just, it was an absolute mess. But that's what happened. Something happened to his knee. So he went to the hospital. I just talked to Vinny before I came to you guys. And he was a little unclear of the diagnosis. There was something mentioned about a, a broken tibia. Then it came out, am I saying tibia or fibia? At any rate, then it came out, no, the x-ray looks like it's not broken, but there is some ligament, ACL, MCL damage. Vinny elected, instead of staying in town, to go back and work with his doctor uh, in Las Vegas. And the final thing I asked Vinny, I said, is your wife mad? And he goes, she's only mad because it took me 20 minutes to call her. She thought I should have called her within 20 seconds. So if there's any bit of comic relief, and I don't know that there is any, but at the end of the day... Vinny's getting that worked on. I will bring you an update. Craig Jones, without question, the argument is now over. Craig Jones is the best submission grappler alive. What's going to be next for Craig Jones? I can tell you, I can tell you Lovato is going to be offered that match. And Lovato's under no obligation and no contract and is not getting any pressure to take it. I'm just sharing with you, Lovato will be offered that match. Lovato is a stud who deserves his respect. Lovato is a champion of the world who never lost that championship and had to relinquish it. I, for one, am not allow, will not allow him to be disrespected or overlooked. What's next for Craig Jones? Stand by. Lovato will be given dibs. 
During this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've always done, which is helping people find work and helping businesses to find the right people for the open roles. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is with you and they will help you find the right job faster. They are dedicated to helping people get hired. From caretaking, to delivering foods and goods, to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. Guys, in fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be the first one to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply for your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies with the people ZipRecruiter is working with so all of us can keep things moving forward. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash together. Ali Abdelaziz did an interview and the topic came up of George St. Pierre versus Khabib. And this seems like the one that just won't go away. That it just This topic just won't go away. And for good reason, right? People would like to see George one more time. George has openly said, I will do one more. But George put his foot down to say, I will only do one more if it's against Khabib. And I thought there'd be some wiggle room myself. I thought we could talk about that a little bit. There's been some some moving at 170 pounds, some new blood, some new opportunities to open up. There's been the fact that Connor has come back. Tell me that somebody wouldn't want to see Connor versus George St. Pete. You know, I just thought there could be a little bit of conversation that doesn't have to be a hard stop. Khabib, world title fight, the end. Well, as the story's gone on, and this has lived for about two years now, it is looking as though, no, it's got to be Khabib, it's got to be at 155, and it's got to be for the belt. So there has been so much talk on what's it going to take, how are you going to get these two guys together, when are you going to do it? Ali comes out, and you know, the best ideas in life are always the easiest. They really are. We can overthink things, and then when you finally have the answer, you go, oh, oh, that was it? So Ali comes out, and he says, yeah, we can make that fight happen. Three things need to happen. First off, George needs to call me. Call me, tell me he wants to fight. I'll, I'll go deal with Khabib. Second, he needs to make a phone call to Dana White, let Dana know that he wants it. And third, he needs to make weight. And I'm sitting there reading this interview, and I'm going, two years. Two years has gone by. Everybody in this game has been asked that question. Every media member has speculated on it. Athletes have talked about it. Promotional decisions and leaders have been asked about this. We all overthought it. It's exactly what Ali said. Call him. Call Dana. Make weight. All right, guys, so there is 30 fights coming up in the month of May. 30 fights, three shows. They're talking of adding a show, roughly 10 fights a show. That would be 40 fights in the month of May. First off, serious question, do we even deserve that? Like, have any of us been good enough boys and girls? Do we even deserve 40 fights over the course of a month? Then there's there's something else tricky here that you have to navigate, and we've talked about this over here many times. One problem, a built-in accidental problem when you have huge stars is how do you build another star, right? Do you guys remember when, when Connor and Ronda were both licensed and both fighting and they could both get any media they wanted at any time that they wanted it? The problem with that, and you'll remember this dialogue going around where people would, would always ask the UFC, well, what are you going to do if you lose Connor? What are you going to do if you lose Ronda? You're not going to have any stars. And the part that people were missing is you can build a star very quickly, but it's very hard to build a star when you've already got a couple of stars. Every sport only has a couple of stars, right? Every sport, you got a LeBron and you got a Kobe at the same time. It's very hard for somebody else to slip in there. It's just one of these things. You, you've got a Manning, you've got a Tom Brady. Tell me the third guy. And you probably could. You could probably go three or four or five, but you couldn't go any deeper than that. Every sport has that same issue. Look at the WWE. You got The Rock and you got Stone Cold, and they're going at the same time. There's other stars there, but for them to get their moment is very tough when you've got these two that are shining so bright. They're sucking all the air out of the room. The reason I bring that up 
is why we as fans are going to be treated immensely through the month of May. I'm going to call it MMA. See what I did there? May? MMA? All right. They're not all home runs, all right? Even Babe Ruth strikes out sometimes. But here's the point. When you have cards that are this deep, you are this deep in talent, you have to ask yourself, how am I going to stand out? That's not just something that can be done. ESPN can't just do that for you. Dana can't just come in there and do that for you. Ultimately, a card gets laid out. Somebody gets that main event spot. Somebody else gets a co-main event spot. The rest, you, you don't have built-in mechanisms. There's not built-in things in place for whoever opens the show or whoever walks out their third. But that doesn't mean they're not great fights, particularly in the month of May. I'll tell you two guys that have done a great job. And I don't even know that it was on purpose. But let's recognize them as Zangano and Rosenstrike. And these two knuckleheads are supposed to be a main event of a card. Ngannou's got the mandate of the masses. I mean, Ngannou is to the heavyweight division what Tony Ferguson is to 155 pounds in terms of having people behind him and saying, this is the guy, give him a title shot. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible the loyalty that Ngannou fans have. Okay, well, Rosenstrike gets to share in that. If you're sharing the cage with the guy, you get to take some of that shine too. But how's he going to do it? Well, Rosenstrike comes out and calls for this to be an interim title shot. He says, look, if Stipe's out, Cormier's got one foot in retirement already. He's doing the announcing. Who knows if that fight's ever going to happen? We can't take the risk. You've got the two next best things without question. Make this an interim title shot. It's not going to be an interim title shot for many reasons. First off, the disrespect that that would show to Stipe. Stipe has not been out for a period of time. Oh, by the way, he's dealing with an injury. Oh, by the way, he happens to be an actual hero serving in the fire department in the middle of a pandemic. Set that aside. Rosenstrike has now got that on the tip of people's tongues just by calling for it. He's offered his argument and his reasons why. We should not just be a number one contender's fight. We should make it official. If you want to be official number one contender, just be the interim champion. Then you go and get the title. Great job. Rosenstrike did a great job, very simple, but he also found a way to make himself stand out. I mean, look at what he's going through. He's going to go in there with Ngano. They were a main event, which comes in with all the built-in media, all the respect. It's a big deal in this, in, in this industry, right? It's a very big deal to headline a card. You are a leg up on anybody else who's on that card, and everybody on the card knows it too, and they will treat you with that respect. It's a big deal. Guys in this industry are trying to get main events. Through no fault of their own, they're not only not the main event, they're not even the co-main event. Through no fault of their own, they're getting ready to go out and do the exact same thing that they had already agreed to do, but the world got put in a weird place, they got put on a stacked card. What do you do? In this case, they found a way. They found a storyline. They also found a way to make sure, to the best of their ability, nothing sure in this business, but they did their best job to make sure that the winner of this comes out as the number one contender. That's hard to do in the course of one interview. And Rosenstrike and Ngannou, whether they're going to be enemies on the ninth or not, do understand the concept. Whether we like each other or we don't, we're partners. We are partners. And in this business, you're not always going to like your partner. Sometimes you don't even get to choose your partner. But don't make any mistake. You're still partners. So if you want a title shot, then sometimes you got to build the other guy up, make sure if you come in second, he gets the title shot. But if you get it, you get the glorious moment. I'm just saying there's a lot of moving parts on this. And as much as us fans are really going to be spoiled this month, probably more so than we even deserve, right? I mean, there's some making up that's going to go on for this lost time, and we're going to get to reap the benefits of it. But the athletes themselves can't miss this. If you're not fighting for titles and you're not fighting in main and co-main events, then what are you fighting for? There's only so much media. That's a competition. That's a battle. You go to a press conference, you better be keeping track. How many questions have I been asked? How many has that guy been asked? I'm too short. I need somebody here to ask. I need to create everything's a battle. Everything's a competition. Getting a job is very easy when there's not a whole lot of candidates. Over the month of May... You need to start positioning yourself ahead of time. You need to get ready for fierce competition and fierce battle. Get those placements. Get those interviews. Get your name out there. Find a way to tell your story that separates you from everybody else.
With currently no NBA, no NHL, and no MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you would be wrong because our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker to blackjack. Let them bring Vegas to you. If you're missing the NFL, that's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can wager on. If you're into the entertainment betting, you can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Guys, they're open 24 hours a day, and it is all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your 50% welcome bonus. All you have to do is use the promo code PODCAST1. Bet online, your online wagering solution. 1FC came out, they announced that Vitor Belfort is, they've got an opponent, or they're just a, about to announce an opponent for him. Now, that's very good news for, for me. I'm a big Vitor fan. Vitor's my mother's favorite fighter. My dad loved watching Vitor. And Vitor, there, there's something nostalgic about him. Right? The first time that he ever fought, he was 19 years old, and he wasn't even fighting under the name Belfort. He was fighting under Vitor Gracie. Do you guys remember that? He was like the adopted son of, of the Gracie. I mean, it was this whole thing around it. But he was 19 years old, and he was just lightning fast. And everybody expected him to come out, particularly with the uh, name Gracie and the fact that he was this adopted son of the Gracie family. They all expected him to come out, take a guy down, look for an armbar, look for a triangle. I mean, that's where the world was back in 1996. You just had one dimension. So when Vitor comes out... He doesn't do any grappling at all. Boom, boom, boom. These straightforward hands. He's he's doing something called the march step, which generally when you're fighting, you'll have one leg in front and one leg behind. You'll stay there the whole night. You'll stay there your whole career. The march step is where your back leg now becomes your front leg, and then and then that back leg becomes a front leg. So every shot you throw becomes a power shot. Your jab hand just became your cross because you switched your feet. This had never been done. Nobody had even heard the term march step let alone some, see somebody go out and do it. So Vitor was just such a, a breath of fresh air to the sport. I mean, he was just something new. He was young. He was exciting. When you look at Vitor, though, now, the fact that he's 43 years old, the fact that he's, he's had a career of 25 years, the question becomes, will we ever see that again? When, when the, the sun sets on Vitor Belfort, is that going to be the end of an entire era? And in many ways, I would predict for you, yes, and I'm well aware, you, you put enough to oh, 100 years from now. Yeah, I get that things happen. I'm talking very realistically, though. Are we going to see anybody have a career as long as Vitor's? And it's hard to imagine. I mean, there's some records in this sport that aren't going to be broken, period. And you think that, well, every record is set, so somebody can come along and break it. N- not all of them. There are some records that just simply aren't going to go away. I'll just offer you one example to prove my point. Hoist Gracie won the tournament three times. They don't do tournaments anymore. So literally, there is no way for somebody to beat Hoyce's record of taking out three men in a night on three separate nights. You see my point? But the reason they don't do tournaments is also relevant to the point I'm trying to make. They don't do tournaments anymore, not because commissions won't sanction them. That's what most people believe. That isn't true. State of Arizona, by the way, Arizona will still sanction a tournament. The state of California did do tournaments as recently as 2011, and they changed a couple rules. They made it uh, two rounds apiece instead of three rounds. They did certain things, but I'm just offering to you, the tournament could still go on. The reason you don't do it is guys can't walk out there that many times. The reason they can't walk out there many times isn't because the guys of yesteryear were just tougher than today's human beings. It's quite the opposite. Today's guys are too damn skilled. You cannot go through that meat grinder twice in a night, let alone three times in a night. Point I'm trying to make. Take that same argument and juxtapose it with what Vitor would have to go through or somebody that wants to outdo Vitor's 25-year run. That means they'd have to go 25 years against the guys of today's skills. That's very hard to do. Do you guys remember Jeremy Horn? Jeremy Horn had some crazy amount of fights. I don't even know what it is. He'd done like 80 fights. But Jeremy Horn was fighting like 15 and 16 times a year. 
There were stories where Jeremy Horn would, would drive to one town, fight on Friday night, drive all through the have somebody drive him as he sleeps in the passenger seat, travel two or three states over, and then fight on Saturday night. That was a cool thing. Jeremy got a bunch of credit for this. This was a really cool thing. He's trying to make a living. He's trying to get his name out there. But under today's standards, you simply couldn't do it. Not only would the commissions not allow you to do it back to back, but your body just couldn't do it. The guys are just too good. They're just too skilled. So when you look at what Vitor is getting ready to do, right, getting ready to go fight and yet another promotion, he's been active the whole time. And I understand there's been little breaks in there. But it wasn't because he wanted them. There was organizational issues. There was finding an opponent issues. He's been active. He's been in the gym. He's kept himself on point. He's kept his weight down. He's kept his strength up. He's kept his speed on tact. He's learned and evolved through the sport. I mean, a guy that fought in 1996, no matter how good he is, he's getting trashed by anybody on the roster today. But Vitor found a way to stay curious he found a way to keep learning. Sometimes he had to change gyms, get new trainers, work with new guys. He did a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just asking, will anybody come along that can mimic that? Will anybody be able to go 25 years at the highest of levels with the standards of today? It's a very tough thing to do. It's a very rare thing to do. Even Randy Couture. Randy Couture went out, I believe his last fight, he was 47 years old. If I'm wrong, he was 48. But little different qualifications that we're talking about with Vitor because Randy's first fight was at 34 years old. Vitor did it at 19. It's a very unique thing, but it is a tough question. Will we see it again? The ability to extend your career is harder and harder. It's not only harder because the guys are tougher, it's not only harder because the regulation is more strict. You've also got drug testing that has changed over time. There's a lot of guys that went through the drug te- the PED era that weren't doing it to be bigger, stronger, faster. They were doing it to recover, to train harder. Now, that kind of logic is going to lead you to a lot of problems, but that logic is nonetheless the reality. A lot of guys made a decision to take things that could enhance them just so they could train harder. They then thought that there was a pride in that. Set that argument aside, that's for another day. The point being, with the enhanced testing, with the enhanced talent, with the enhanced commissions and regulatory bodies, with the enhanced skills, with the ability to study opponents, studying an opponent used to be a very hard thing to do. There's a reason that guys used to be the world heavyweight boxing champion for 10 years at a time. The reason was the closest your opponent could get to studying you was listening to your fight be called on a transistor radio. As soon as the internet came out, as soon as YouTube came out, as soon as streaming services and cameras came out and you could start studying and breaking guys down, that's why you don't see 10 years on top anymore. It's that rare of a thing to do. You start to understand a guy, you start to see his nuances, you start to work with some better, you start to break them down different. But all of these things become relevant when I'm trying to get back to a very simple question, which is Vitor Belfort about to go on 25 years of high-level competition. Are we going to see anybody... In a reasonable time frame, are we going to see anybody else be able to duplicate that? Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to GEICO.com. Get a quote. See how much you can save. That's Geico.com. Geico.com. Dana came out. He was talking about uh, he was talking about Ferguson and Gaethje. And he said, this will be the most violent fight you've ever seen. That much I can guarantee you. That's an interesting word. That's a very interesting word to use. Violent. It paints a picture. And we all know exactly what it means, but it's a very rare word to use. And it made me start thinking, what is the most violent fight I've ever seen? And this is just a personal opinion, right? I would love to hear what your guys' opinion are too. But one of my favorite marketing ploys ever, and I love the BMF. I might even put this market in front of the BMF. Eddie Alvarez was going to fight Justin Gaethje. And Eddie came out and said, this is for the title most violent man 
in the UFC. And one of the reasons I love that from a marketing standpoint, it was like nine or 10 days before the fight when I found out that Eddie had made that up. I thought that he, Eddie had done such a good job with identifying this title, this fight, as being for the most violent man title that I thought that came from the office. I thought that was like an just like the BMF. I thought this was officially for the title of most violent man. And then I found out that, no, Eddie had just started putting that out in interviews. I'm like, man, that, that, that was great. That was great. But I have to tell you, in addition to the marketing, that is the fight that I believe is the most violent fight. I'm disclosing the marketing as I tell you this because perhaps the marketing won me over. Perhaps it was just a really awesome fight and a very violent fight, but not the most violent fight. Perhaps that is the case. I can remember one night, Randy Couture fought Pedro Hizzo. See, violence is an interesting word. How are we defining violent? How do we define damage? How do, we, how do we do those things? Randy Couture fought Pedro Hizzo, and Pedro was using leg kicks. Pedro was trained by Marco Huaz, and they were using these leg kicks. All the boxing was just a test range. Boom, and he'd come up with these leg kicks. And Randy's leg was so discolored, and he even had to change stances and fight in a southpaw stance just to hide that leg, but Randy wouldn't quit. He wouldn't fall down or go away. But leg kicks are one of those things. It's very hard. It's just not as obvious. It's not as obvious as a swollen eye or a bloody nose or a knockout punch. It's, it's a slower burn. I remember the night I was there live, Jose Aldo versus Uriah Faber, and it was the same thing. Uh, Aldo just kept landing these leg kicks. And Faber was standing. Faber went it back down. He couldn't quite get to his wrestling. Now all of a sudden his legs are slow because he's got this dead leg. I mean, the ultimate Charlie horse over the course of five rounds. And Faber couldn't get to his take. And Jose's chopping him down and chopping him down. I see Faber in the back. Big smile on his face. Saying hello. You know, I don't know what to say to him. And the reason it's an awkward spot for me is he's on a gurney. They're just taking him out the back. The ambulance door is there. It's open. He's about to get in and have to go to the hospital, but it was because of those leg kicks. I have to think that that qualifies as violent. I mean, I would have to think where a guy is beaten so bad in the legs that he has to go seek medical attention. That has to qualify as violent. I want your guys' opinion on this. I'm going to stick with my initial pick. I'm sticking with Justin Gaethje versus Eddie Alvarez, most violent fight of all time. Most violent man in MMA, Eddie Alvarez. I have to admit, though, some of that was because the buildup. I also believe George Masvidal is the baddest MF. Some of that is because I watched them put a belt around him that said he's the baddest MF. So you guys tell me, what's the most violent fight you've ever seen? There was a picture that came out. I saw it on MMA Junkie. Um, and it was of Junior Dos Santos. It was a selfie. I think Junior's living in Brazil, but he took his shirt off and he did a selfie. And skinniest I've ever seen him. And apparently he's on the keto diet, which I believe essentially means the no carbs. But the bigger question is why? Why would a heavyweight, who by the way, I mean, Junior always looks great. He's not packing around extra fat. Why would a heavyweight be on any kind of a diet, let alone this lean? And if a picture is worth a thousand words, what are we supposed to gain? What is the message that Junior is telling us? So the speculation on MMA Junkie was Junior going to 205. That's as reasonable of a guess as I could possibly get out of it. Why would a heavyweight who usually goes around 237 to 240, which means... He's roughly 28 to 30 pounds under the heavyweight limit. Why would he possibly be trying to lose weight unless he was trying to lose a lot of weight and get down to the next weight class? Let's guess that that's true without having any, any better evidence than that. But I think there's some logical reasoning with that hypothesis. But what does that look like? What does Junior Dos Santos at 205 pounds look like? And you got to understand what he looks like right now at heavyweight. He's a top 10 guy right now. So if this is all about a title shot, getting back to main events, getting back to the glory, does he move any closer by going down to 205? I would think that Junior down, he's probably going to have to prove himself. He's 
probably going to have to prove he can make the weight. He's probably going to have to get in there with somebody. I would think with one win, yeah, I would think he's a top 10 guy at 205. But what does the path look like? What does the path look like to get to John Jones? I mean, that division for a first time in a long time is jammed. 205 pounds was not looking good five months ago. 205 pounds is looking pretty damn awesome right now. Now if you throw Junior in the mix, I mean, how deep of the waters does he want to step in? Let's say Dominic Reyes goes in against John Jones. Well, all of a sudden, Jan Blahovich dance card is open. Is that the kind of opportunity Junior wants to walk right into? I mean, the guy's a former couple-time heavyweight champion of the world. He's a little bit hard to deny. So let's say he goes in there with Jan. Let's say he gets to jump on Jan, and that's going to be a slugfest. I mean, I'm just having some fun here. I'm just throwing a name out that came off the top of my head. But if Junior is really looking to fast-track this thing, I mean, that's the exact same thing Chris Weidman did, but in reverse. Chris Weidman's champion of the world, 185 pounds, wants to be champion at 205 pounds, goes in there on his very first attempt goes up in weight, steps into a five-round fight against a young, undefeated top contender in Dominic Reyes. I mean, whether it worked out for him or it didn't, it was still the risk. It was still the risk that he took. Is Junior going to do the same thing? Is Junior going to take the fast track? I mean, sometimes in this sport, you got to rip the Band-Aid off. I either want to know. And maybe I'm going to like the answer, and maybe I'm not. But I need to get on with my life either way. I don't want to sit around wondering. I don't want to sit around with regret. If I'm going to go down to 205, throw me as deep as you want me. But if I pass the test, throw me with what I want, which is the championship. I mean, a lot of times it does work that way. Jose Aldo, in many ways, did that. And you can argue the Marlin fight and how the outcome was. You, you can do all those things. A champion of the world changed weight classes. It gives him a fresh coat of paint. He goes out there and has one good performance. It means something. He can fast-track everybody. Changing weight classes is one of the most effective ways to get to the top of a division when you're... A, a stud in that other weight. You're instantly undefeated at that weight. You instantly bring credibility to it. I mean, Jose Aldo went out, had a razor, had a great performance. I, had a great, I, I understand who won the fight. I'm just saying he came out and had a great performance. He moved right into a world title shot. What is going to happen with Junior? Is it safe to say that Junior is coming down? I wished he would have had a caption. For marketing... Purposes alone. When Junior comes out and he, he's talking about this diet and he's showing himself lean and ripped and he was like working this new mustache all of a sudden, it looked like an all new Junior Dos Santos. But it would have been helpful if he would have said, John Jones, I'm coming for you, or Jan Blahovich, I'm coming for you. It would have been helpful if there was a call out with it. Perhaps he's too nice of a guy to do it. So now we're left to speculate. My buddy Ryan was just asking me if um, my thoughts on grappling, if grappling has evolved faster than MMA over the last five years. And it was, it's so interesting that he asked me that, asked me that question because I was just on the phone with Nate Quarry and we were just talking about that. And our conclusion was yes. And the reason for it, grappling's not grappling anymore. Like if you, if you have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, it's not the same as if you used to have a a black belt. It's just not in that, like, use the rubber guard by example, what Eddie Bravo did. That is a totally different sport than, say, what Hoyce and Hickson and Henzo Gracie brought everybody. It's a totally different sport. It requires a different level of flexibility. I mean, it's even got different names and different moves. They got crackhead position. They got New York. They got a, a move called New York, New York. I mean, it's, it's a different language, let alone a different sport even though they go out and compete under the same rules. So then you've got this big question of, okay, well, is the old guard or is it the rubber guard? What's better? But then if you go and look at what John Danaher is doing with the Danaher death squad, that's a different sport. You could have a black belt in jujitsu and walk in and not be able to finish a class with John Danaher, like not even know what it is he's calling for and what he's saying. The way he has evolved and innovated leg locks, knee bars, heel hooks, sweeps from those positions, half guard, is totally different. You could be a top-ranked guy at the Danaher Death Squad, walk into Eddie Bravo's gym, and have no idea what he's calling out when he's trying to run a practice. It's just not the same. And 
then you go look at gi versus no gi. Now you're talking about a totally different sport. I mean, there's a reason that Abu Dhabi does not contest a gi division and a no gi division. You'd have to have a whole nother tournament. It's a totally different sport. Even though most black belts, to get a black belt, has to come through the gi system. That's just the tradition. That's what you have to do. But once you get that black belt, you can take that gi off and go any direction that you want. So where everything's going to end up, where everything's going to land, I really feel that, that, that grappling is evolving faster than MMA. I think that we know what MMA is, and I think we know where MMA is going to go. But grappling seems to have some of these intricacies. And grappling, for the most part, just bores people to death. I, mean, I grew up as a wrestler. We, we'd be thrilled if there was 50 people there to watch us. We'd work so hard. We'd have two practices a day. I mean, we'd put everything into that. We had oh, matching uniforms. And we did, we did everything that every other sport does. We just couldn't get anybody to come watch. It was just one of these really tough things. And you got other parts of the country where they're selling out arenas. Go look at some of the excitement that Brands has brought to Iowa or that Sanderson has brought to Penn State, you can't even get a ticket in the building. It's just one of these things. But I think to answer Ryan's question and to piggyback it off a conversation I just had with Nate, if you go and look at the different moves that are being done and you look at the way that things are evolving, I can I can remember a time, guys, when if you were in half guard, you were in half a damn position. This was not good. Recover guard. I mean, this was a real thing. Joe Rogan would actually announce this in MMA fights. Oh, he's in half guard, meaning the other guy's halfway past. And then when the guy got back to full guard, Rogan would go, okay, good. He's, he's back to full guard. He's in a better spot. That was very, very true until about five years ago. Now you go look at what the Craig Joneses of the world are out doing from half guard. They've turned this into a position that they're trying to get to. Guys are trying to jump back and get into a full guard. That used to be the worst spot that you could be in. Now guys are trying, forcing themselves to your half pass and I'm here. Now they're going to sweep and they're going to come under and they're going to start going inverted. I think to the question of what has evolved faster in the last half a decade, I don't think it's even quite, I don't think it's even close. The answer would be grappling. All right, guys, that's the recap as I see it. But there will be more news and more to discuss. Let's meet back same time, same channel this Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi. And my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th, officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts.